chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And the second reading is from Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Thank you so much, Rachel. we just pause and just let's just actually I'll just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to um, as I speak and from the words that we just heard from scripture just just prompt us over the next 20 minutes and so I'll just invite the Holy Spirit to come and then we'll just wait in silence for a few moments Holy Spirit come and draw to our minds draw into our hearts that which you would have us hear from you this morning So one of the joys of Easter for me has been seeing some of the student members of our church family back. It's great to have you back. Um, great to have seen others over, this, over the um, Easter period. And it's a double-sided joy, really, because it made me recollect that actually um, it was nearly 20 years ago that I went to university for the first time, and that made me feel incredibly old. <laughs> nearly two decades ago that I went to university. Um, 
and, and I don't know about um, your experience um, today, um, but I know that I started going to church when I was 17 years old. It was quite a kind of instinctive thing. I had just started my A-levels, and I was doing A-level RE because the course interested me. But I just had this instinct that there was something more than just the academic study of religion that was just grabbing me and drawing me in. So I went down to um, the local church, um, and I always remember, I may have shared this before, but it was the culmination of the Going Bananas Holiday Club, um, a holiday club which still exists today. Um, so if I went to university nearly 20 years ago, you can do the maths on when I was doing my A-level. So holiday clubs last, don't they? They're great. Um, and over those two years, I became inc- increasingly involved in the life of church and found out more about Jesus and, and faith. But it wasn't until I went to university and I did an Alpha course that I really had that kind of moment of revelation, that moment of epiphany where I thought, actually, this is so much more than just head knowledge. This is about um, Jesus doing something for me and how my life needs to change by way of response to that. Um, But that's quite a difficult thing to realise at university um, because, you know, the context at university of partying and and drugs and sex and and everything that goes with living as a student is quite a challenging context in which to grow as a Christian, especially if you're finding faith for the first time and you don't have that kind of years of walking with Jesus behind you. And I found myself with this challenge that I lived amongst a great group of friends who I love dearly still to this day and, you know, who are great personal friends um, and, and some of them are Christians, but many of them aren't. And in this culture of um, binge drinking that existed at the time in the university that I went to, and I don't think it was typical of that university, just so I don't get pilloried online from people listening to this, um, I found myself thinking... If I'm to be true to Christ, having come to faith in him, how much can I be a part of this culture? And I kind of worked out that I didn't want to be someone who stood completely aside from it. I didn't want to be someone who just wasn't in it, because then how can we be salt and light? But neither did I want to be someone who was known to be a Christian, known to be involved in youth ministry in the church I was a part of, um, and being seen by the young people as someone who was, you know, drunk on, on a Saturday night and then in church on Sunday morning teaching young people about discipleship, helping them to grow in their faith. That seemed to lack integrity to me. Um, and so I had that challenge in time where my newfound faith in Christ meant that I had to work out what it was to be a Christian with integrity and living for Jesus in the world, um, but as we say, not, not of it. Um, and there are many challenging contexts uh, where, where we find that. I think, you know, we did a series of interviews the other day. I'm looking at this and thinking of Tony. And, and Tony talked about the things that aren't talked about in the Navy in his frontline interview, which we did last year in January. And so there are some contexts where it's incredibly difficult to live overtly as a Christian um, because of the context themselves. And we have to work out how we can be true to Christ uh, uh, and yet be salt and light in our communities and on our front lines. So this week in our series, we're really asking the question, so now what? So now what? We started off um, two weeks ago looking at what it is to die to Christ, which sounds quite dramatic, really. If you're not a a studier of Paul, 
um, and if you're not a Christian, and you've come to church over the Easter period, and you've been told, you must die to your old self. You know, the way to life is to die to your old self. That sounds quite dramatic. It can be quite overwhelming, because we quite naturally associate death with, uh, with, with traumatic events in our lives, things that we, we struggle with. And so when we're invited to die to self, we might find that quite a difficult concept to grasp. And so I wanted to probe into it for a bit, if you'll indulge me today, and draw out four quick things um, that might help us understand what it is to die to Christ. And in doing so, I hope to ground it for you so that you can, you, you can increasingly die to yourself um, and live for Christ. So here's the first thing. The Gospels always tell us that where there's death, there's resurrection. Where there's an end to something, it paves the way to a new beginning. In other words, with Jesus, there is always hope because there's always a future. And we might have to lose things along the way that inhibit our relationship with Christ. But in doing so, we gain more of Christ in our lives. We grow in Christ-likeness um, by way of results. And so by dying to self, we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and embrace new beginnings. The second thing, um, and I keep coming back to this over and over again in my preaching because I believe it to be true, is that we all live for something. So the follow-up question is, is what? If we all live for something, if you live for something, what do you live for? And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you someone who is currently living for, do you know your focus to be Christ Jesus? And this can be difficult because it it kind of fluctuates. When I became a Christian, gradually my worldview began to change, as I just outlined in that piece of testimony. Um, Living as a Christian in university forced me to make decisions um, that I hadn't had to make before because, you know, some temptations just weren't part of my life um, when I was doing my A-levels and when I was um, studying back at home and at school. um, The temptations were different. The context was different. But actually, um, I had to change my outlook um, as I began to take on what it was to be a follower of Jesus. I had to lose that former way to embrace life with Jesus. So what you live for is important, and it's important today that you're honest with yourselves in your own heart and soul to identify what it is that that your focus is on. The third thing, um, and this is important for you to believe and accept, God has a plan and purpose for your life. Of all the um, topics raised in pastoral encounters that I have in conversations with people, one of the biggest is I'm struggling because I don't know what God is calling me to do with my life. Now, this is an acute problem for our time and our culture where, you know, you might have multiple jobs in a career. um, You might face enormous life decisions along the way. um, And you try to discern, faith aside, what it is that you're being called to do with your life, what it is that you should be doing with your life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's all the harder because you're trying to align that feeling of what you feel you should do with your discernment in prayer through the Holy Spirit of what you believe that God is calling you to do. But know this as a means of reassurance. 
the biggest foundation that God calls us to believe in and accept is that if we come to faith in Jesus, we are his. So our ultimate calling in life is to be found in Jesus Christ. Now, whichever language you want to use, whether it's coming to salvation, whether it's becoming baptised in the faith, the foundation of what God is calling us to do with our lives is to be found in him. So yes, we have the anxiety over the question of what decisions do we take that influence the course of our lives, what job do we, um, do we, do we embark upon, what career path do we set upon, what subjects at uni do we study, what relationships do we enter into... But God's biggest call on our lives is that we are found in Christ. So you're doing well. Please be encouraged. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, please be encouraged and be hopeful because you're already operating within God's purpose for your lives if you are found in him. And if you're not, God desires, Jesus desires, this is the message of Easter, to be first and foremost in relationship with you. That's the third thing. Fourthly, this cycle of dying to self, discovering freedom and living new life in Christ is a daily journey we face. There are some things that happen that are absolute rocks on which we build our faith. And we say them in the creed um, statements. Christ has died, that is an absolute, he has done it uh, and he has dealt with sin for all time, for eternity. Christ has risen We believe that to be true, and because of that, we stand in resurrection life. Christ will come again. We believe that in faith. Jesus makes other promises to us that when he was leaving his disciples, he said, I will send you an advocate who will guide you into all truth. And so we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. These are absolute rocks on which we build our faith. And whatever um, temptations come um, our way, we still operate on the foundation that we are forgiven, that we are saved, that we have eternity in our grasp, and that we are free to live for Christ. Now, every day though, there are temptations which come our way, which challenge us, which tempt us um, to live that former life, to live that old life. And our response to those temptations is to search out what, is, what does freedom in Christ look like, what does new life in Christ look like in those temptations that come our way. We know we're forgiven. We know that we stand with eternity. Uh, we know that we have the Holy Spirit. But what is it in particular temptations that come our way um, that we can do to discover new life in Jesus Christ? I mentioned this last week, and I think it's an important scripture for us, um, which is, I think it's in Ephesians 5, uh, we're told to go on being filled, continuous tense, with the Holy Spirit. So we're not taught to to just receive the Holy Spirit at our baptism and that's it. We're taught, Paul implores us to go on continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm sure if you want people to pray with you, if you want me to pray with you after the service, just come and grab me. If you want a time of ministry tonight, I'm sure there'll be ministry um, tonight at Encounter. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we are weak and powerless to live this life that we're called to live. We better turn to um, 
our reading. Um, So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Paul, um, who had uh, a non-Christian background, in fact, as you know, was one of the greatest persecutors of the church, someone who took pride in his persecution of Christians, says that this is his new driving force in life. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. So can I ask you, what is the driving force in your life at the moment? What motivates you? What, what gives you life? Paul tells us that it is the love of Christ which compels him in, in, in his life. But one of the greatest um, motivators, which is an ironic term in, in relation to this, one of the greatest driving forces that I discover people have in life is actually not love, but fear. And this can affect Christians just as much as it can affect um, anyone else. So many people live their lives with fear as a driving force. We fear people, we fear situations, and at its most acute, we even fear uh, fear itself. And that really is a vicious cycle to break. And when our driving force in life is fear, what we will find is that the demands of others will have um, an exaggerated influence on what we do and what we think and what we say. Let me try and say that again. When fear is our driving force in life, the demands of others or of situations will have an exaggerated impact on our life, um, on what we do, think and say. However, love is different. And it's love of Christ that Paul cites as his driving force in life. Now, love enables us to not only love those who love us, our close family, our friends who nurture us, who bring us life, but also love those um, who, who perhaps don't love us or perhaps are challenging to us for whatever reason. You know, love enables us to overcome situations which in other, which in other situations we would, um, we would embody um, the things that we're warned about in Colossians of anger, or of malice, of those challenging things. But love enables Sarah and I to do flat pack furniture without, you know, having a huge fight. And you can translate that into your own context. Love enables us to endure harassment in the workplace to a certain extent without being resentful of the other because we have the love of Christ in our hearts. The love of Christ compels us and we see people as being made in Christ's image. So we might not like the person very much, but we still have the ability to love them um, as Christ would love them. So what is your driving force in life? Uh, this attracted smiles at the 9.30 service. I'm sure it will again. Um, you've known me for three and a half years now. And um, one of my skills is not organisation and administration. 
Um, that won't surprise those of you um, who know me. And so, because it's not an instinctive thing, I have to compensate for that. I have to develop skills and checks and lists. Lists is a good one, actually, um, for me, which, which help me. And to try and learn these skills, which don't come naturally to me. Um, I've read a few books which have been instrumental in trying to become more organised. Uh, one of them is a book by David Allen, which is quite prolific amongst professionals and leaders and managers and so on, called Getting Things Done. And at the heart of this uh, model that David Allen advocates is the question, you know, so what is your next action? Rather than thinking of the overwhelming task before you, the, the massive project that you're um, undertaking in your personal life or in your workplace or in a community setting, you know, what is the small next task? Who do you need to talk to next? Which email do you need to send next? What document do you need to file or edit next? And suddenly things become less overwhelming. And I share that because post-Easter, we often think, we've been through this season of Lent um, in which we think, we think about our brokenness and what we need to hold before Christ and may be made new. And then we get to the joy of Easter and we think, yes, the Lord is risen and that needs to have an impact in my life so I'll live completely for God. My life will now embody the whole of Scripture and the whole of the fruits of the Spirit will be evident in every word I speak. But we know that we are on a journey of being made new. So to ground this for you today, to ask yourselves, what is the next step, what is the next action in my relationship with Jesus that will either um, help me to realise um, the depth of his love or help me to, to um, remove a barrier from my relationship with Jesus? What is that small next action? Is it to find um, a commentary on the Bible? Is it to find a set of daily Bible notes that you can get on with? Is it um, to just simply ask and invite the Holy Spirit each morning to set an alarm on your phone or whatever it might be that says, pray for the Holy Spirit to come into your life to equip you that day to do all that Christ has called you to? What is that next action that you need to do on a practical level that helps you to live this new life that we are called to embody? And so I'm just going to keep silence for a few moments um, and leave you with that thought you know, and question. You, know, you might like to identify something now so that as we come to Jesus at communion, as we sing his praise in the songs, you're mindful of what it is um, you're going to enact in order that you might grow in your relationship with Jesus this morning. And as you think about that thing and just let all anxiety dissipate knowing that it's Christ's desire that you grow 
in his likeness. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to enable you to do all that he has called you to do. All that you need to live for Jesus has already been provided. Father, I pray for the thoughts that have been coming to every individual in this room. I pray that you would help them to know that they are held and loved by you. I pray that you would help us all to know that our life is now hidden with Christ, who has risen from the dead. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help everyone here to enact those individual thoughts and commitments that have been going through minds in the past few moments with the sole desire that we might grow in Christ-likeness. Amen.